0: These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give him our full attention today. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose daughter, little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syro-Phoenician by birth, And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter and he said to her let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs but she answered him yes Lord yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs and he said to her for this statement you may go your way the demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And would you join your hearts with mine in a word of prayer, seeking for God's blessing over these words. Let's all pray. God, we just ask that the meditation of our hearts and minds might be pleasing to you Oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of my kids, they um, started school this past week, and I've got to tell you, it's been really nice for us. Very peaceful at home, very quiet. And don't get me wrong. I love my kids, but they're at this age where they're constantly asking for things, constantly bickering with each other. And it's, uh, really distracting. And the thing is, I thought, you know, as one of the kids are out of the, out of, um, out of uh, at school, you know, I'll have much more time to like really maximize my time now because the house is so quiet. And the thing is, the strangest thing happened. The house got quiet. The noise, noise went away but the heart and mind got louder. What do I say for this Sunday? What do I do? Who who can I ask to uh, volunteer at church? Um, Why is this bill so expensive? I hope Miles is making good friends at school. What's he going to have for lunch? What's for lunch for me? What's for dinner? All these different thoughts racing through my mind and heart. And the thing is, I hate how busy we've all become. I really do. I don't say that in a judgy way, I say that in like a sympathetic way of how busy our lifestyles have just become. And with that busyness of pace, it makes us irritable, it makes us less gracious towards one another, it makes us feel like we're always in a rush to get things done. And I hate it. And yet the thing is, I've come to just accept, I think we all have to just accept that we're always gonna be busy. So repeat after me, repeat this after me, okay? You guys ready? My life will always be busy. Or, well, that will never change. But I don't have to be busy in heart. Good. Out of everyone, Jesus is perhaps the most busiest person to ever uh, live on this earth. And yet I got to believe he didn't have a busy heart. What can we learn from him? I mean, he's had all kinds of distractions in his life, and yet he is not busy in heart. What can we learn from him? Three rhythms I want us to think about. One, prayer. Two, of priorities, and last of all, our place. Prayer, priorities, and place. Let's look at the first part, prayer. All Jesus wants to do is just take some time to himself. So he, he kept this hidden house or a secret location, didn't let anyone know about his whereabouts. He just needed some time to himself. And every mom and dad, you can understand this when you have little ones, how exhausting it is to always be around your kids the whole time. You just need a minute. Even if it's 15 minutes, even if you have to lock yourself in a bathroom, you just need that me time just for a little bit. Everyone needs it. That's what Jesus needed. And yet as he is hidden, immediately, verse 25, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. And came and fell down at his feet immediately that's the word there immediately this woman comes and yet this word immediately is the problem of business that everything when you're busy at heart everything becomes immediate for you everything becomes immediate how many of you guys think you're good at multitasking any takers here you guys think you're good at multitasking? And the thing is, the truth is, I'm lovingly here to tell you you're not good at it. They did this whole experiment with people driving cars, and I, I guess uh, they had these drivers do uh, an acti- uh, two activities at once, one for driving and something else. And out of all the drivers, they found out that only 2.5%, 2.5% of people showed no decrease in performance while doing two tasks at once. people, which means none of us can multitask, really. It's a myth. And no matter what the research says, they've done a ton of research on this kind of stuff, no matter what it says, we still try to multitask in our lives. I'm guilty as well. Like even Sunday, every Sunday, I try to uh, make pancakes for the kids uh, while trying to get ready uh, dressed up and making my coffee at the same time. You know, I prioritize the coffee and I always end up burning one pancake because I try to multitask. Every Sunday, it seems like that. And no matter how much I'm convinced that you can never multitask, I still do it. Why is that? I think our attempts at multitasking is it really an attempt for us to be sovereign, to fight against our finitude, our finiteness? And so we have to keep all these things in our mind, because if we don't keep all these things at once, who else will? So we multitask, we can't help it. This woman, she immediately comes before Jesus, right? And she begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. That's what verse 26 says. She brings Jesus her problems. Remember the demon possession here. It didn't just happen. If you could turn to the slide here, you you don't just go out for a stroll and then a demon just suddenly possesses your body. In the Old Testament here, in Zechariah 13.2, it connects demonic possession with having an unclean spirit, which is idolatry. So you have to really invest yourself into the false idols for you to become demon-possessed. And so most likely, this daughter's condition is because of her mom. Her mom's the main reason why this is even happening. And as far as I can tell, this mother, this woman here, is the only person, in the Gospel of Mark at least, that blatantly asked Jesus healing for the demon possession. She's the only one. All the other characters who have been demon possessed, they kind of like um, serendipitously, uh, unexpectedly meet Jesus and cross paths. But this woman goes out of her way and specifically begs Jesus, take the demon out of my daughter, please. She goes to Jesus with her problems immediately. You know what she's doing? She's praying. No hesitation. No hesitation at all. Brings her problems before God. And the thing is here, no self-respecting rabbi would even come near this woman. She is a Gentile, which is someone that doesn't just mix in with the Jewish culture. She's a Gentile. She doesn't belong with uh, Jesus. Her daughter's condition is self-inflicted, right? You get what you deserve. And the fact is, she's unclean. She has an unclean spirit. Why go near her? And I'm sure this is in the back of this woman's mind. Yet without hesitation, she immediately falls before the feet of someone who is sovereign in her life. That's the thing, immediately. Little kids, little kids are so terrible at reading the room. They're so terrible at reading the room. Like, as a parent, you could be sick and like have a high fever and be incapacitated on the bed, and yet your kids will still walk in and say, can I have milk? Can I have water? When I'm hungry. When are we going to eat? They immediately bring these things up. And you would think that they're being heartless, but they're just being children. That's what we're called to be like. They're just bringing what's immediately on their minds and hearts. This is what we're called to do in prayer. To not just wait, to not when things get a little bit better or when things get a little bit worse, no, immediately fall before the feet of a sovereign God. You know how we can practically do this and practice this? Every morning, I make it an effort to just do two things. One, as I wake up, I just read one verse, just one verse. And then I go out my window and I look at something nature like trees or the sun Something that I know man cannot produce. And as I look at the nature, I simply say these two words, or three words. I'm bad at counting here. I say this, good morning, God. Good morning, God. To just get my rhythm in place, to have the conversation, to immediately just make these my first steps, my first actions, to open up the conversation. I admit it, it might sound silly and strange for you to do that, to just verbally say that out loud, I mean, to a window with like no one else in the, uh, behind it, but it might sound strange. But this something small might center, help to center our rounds in knowing that God really does life with us. And sometimes you need to do something practical like this to just get you in the rhythm. Because when this happens, when you start immediately coming before God, and prayer becomes your immediate response to everything, our priorities, they become clear. Second point here, priorities. As this woman pours her heart out to Jesus, Jesus responds in verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, what on earth? This, this woman is worried about her daughter and Jesus responds with this kind of word. Like, what, what is he getting at? See, he says this to a woman who is from Tyre, a city that took pride in its reputation for innovation. Because in the Old Testament, uh, when they built the temple, Solomon and David, they would specifically partner with the people of Tyre because they were known for their cedar wood and known for their architecture. And verse 26 says that this woman was a Gentile. And this word used here means that she is culturally a Gentile. means uh, ethnically she's Jewish, but she's um, disregarded the Jewish heritage and she adopted a Gentile one. So ethnically speaking, she's Jewish, but she doesn't practice any of her Jewish roots. And on top of this, she is a Syrophoenician by birth. The Phoenicians are known for creating the alphabet. They're they're innovative in that way, the alphabet as we have it today. So all this cultural background where she would be proud of as a person, she's proud to be a Gentile, she's proud to be a Syrophoenician, she's proud that um, where she comes from, Tyre. And yet in her pride, imagine her receiving Jesus' word because Jesus seems to call her a dog. Like, I just want you to imagine this, like Bay Area baddies. You know what a baddie is? I looked this up. A woman who is beautiful, who is fashionable. She makes seven digits, seven-digit figures. She's fiercely independent and outspoken. She, she doesn't need a man to take care of her. She's got it. She's a baddie. And imagine a Bay Area baddie being told, hey, I want you let the children be fed first It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Would that sit well with any of them? Absolutely not. Wouldn't sit well with us either. We've got too much pride sometimes in prayer. You know what humbled me? I have this man crush, one of my man crushes. I'll admit it. His name is Andrew Huberman. He's a scientist from Stanford. And I was listening to him, you know what he does every morning? He said, he says, I pray. I just recently found this out. I was humbled by this because the guy who's, who teaches at Stanford, who has PhDs more than, uh, more than Fahrenheit, this smart guy who could probably solve a lot of my problems says, every morning I pray. And he says, the science side of me wants to figure out what's the purpose of prayer and all that. But he says, you know what? There's I don't do that. I just sit there and offer to God my character defects that I really can't fix. And really all I'm doing in prayer is letting God work in me. It's humbling. We have too much pride and sometimes it keeps us from Prayer. See, Jesus in this context, he's not being rude. When Jesus references his dogs, it's, it's not to do it negatively here. There are places in scripture where dogs do represent evil and defilement, but there's all, not all the references are bad. Dogs were actually domesticated pets back then as well. And in cities like Ashkelon, which is a city in Pho- uh, Phoenicia, they had pet cemeteries for dogs Um, to honor their beloved pets. So Jesus' statement in verse 27 here isn't an insult, but a parable-like statement that the order and priority of Jesus' mission is to first witness to the Israels, I think I have this up here, which represent God's people, his children, and then to the Gentiles, the dogs, the pets. He's talking about the order of his salvation here. And essentially what Jesus does here, he is calling the woman to wait and to have faith. I want you to wait and have faith. But man, the waiting place is everyone's least favorite place to be in. I remember this time Miles was on a play date with one of our good family friends and the kids were getting along fine until they started fighting over this toy, this Octonauts toy. And they did a little tug of war with this toy. And so uh, the other dad gets out and he says, he gets out this um, hourglass sand timer thing that goes on for like five minutes and he says, you know what? You can each take turns. So when this sand dial runs out, it's the next person's turn. And so everyone agrees, right? Sounds like a solid plan. And he turns over the sundial. And as, as his one kid's turn, you know what the kid does? All he does is look at the timer the whole time. Doesn't play with the toy. He's just, he's just fixated on the time that he has left. And I thought, man, that's me. That's all of us. Because as time goes, statistically speaking, the average person lives 4,700 weeks. That's the average person, 4,700 weeks. By your 30s and 40s, you've used up half of that. And there you are waiting, waiting for healing, waiting for a chance, waiting for love. Waiting for anything to happen because it's simply better than just waiting. I hate waiting just like everyone else. And it's like we're looking at the clock, but we can't enjoy the thing that's in front of us. We can't be, uh, enjoy the present moment. This woman is told to wait. And she could have simply been discouraged or even angry. Like, who are you to tell me to do this, Jesus? And as she's told to wait, instead of those responses, she simply says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs. She's humbling herself. This woman humbles herself before God. You know what the craziest thing about this passage is? It seems like Jesus changes her, his mind. Right? The, the, the woman begs by her statement, it just seems like Jesus changes her mind, his mind. Yet I don't think that's what's going on here. Instead, she has her priorities straight. Yes, Lord, means your ways are greater than mine, even if I can't understand everything that's going on. Just give me the crumbs to see your goodness, just to get by, just a little bit. You know, we're all trying to get by. Is that not the theme of our lives? Trying to get by. And there's a lot that we all have going on, myself included. I just want to get by God. My daughter, she has this swim class on Wednesdays just for about 45 minutes. And at this swimming school, there's this nice area with a bunch of tables and Wi-Fi for parents to wait and maybe get some work done. And so when I enter in, I see all these uh, uh, parents on their laptops working. I say, oh, great, I'll do that too. So as I get ready, I, I, I grab my backpack, open up my stuff. And then as the swim school lesson is about to start, my daughter tells me, Appa, can you go in with me and watch me the whole time? You know, On the inside, like I'm dying because I'm like, no, I don't want to. It's just swimming. But I go in with her and I watch her you know, uh, do what the swimming intu- instructor tells her. She, she learns how to float on her back with her limbs sprawled out and she just looks like a, this drowning starfish and she's practicing jumping in the water while she um, does it. Um, she floats to safety on the edge and every time she does something, she's like looking at me with her goggles and she goes like this and, you know, just saying, do I approve, do I approve? And I realize these are the moments of little breadcrumbs that God leaves for us to remind us that the things that really matter are the eternal things. What's more eternal than connecting with another person's soul? What's more eternal than our relationships? And sometimes we need little breadcrumbs to remind us it's the eternal things that matter. That's what matters. Maybe the problem is not so much time. Maybe we just want to know our place in all this. Which brings us to the last point. Verse 29, Jesus' response to this woman is this, for this statement you may go your way, that demon has left your daughter. Everyone else, they need Jesus to come and touch, touch, maybe even touch the fringe of his garment or to just vi- visually see Jesus, um, say some sort of blessing or miracle. Yet here, all she has to go on are Jesus' words, just like we're called to do. She trusts in the words of Jesus. You know, anytime I go back home, Uh, I'm sorry, at home, she finds her daughter lying in bed with the demon gone as if it never happened. She goes home and the daughter's all better, just like Jesus promised. And this whole scene, it kind of reminds me of the fact that every time I go home to my parents' house, they still have left my room the exact way as when I was a kid. They didn't change anything all my old posters are there, uh, my pictures are there, my 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 children's school books are there and all that. And it, it's kind of strange to go back. And even when I go home, my, my parents stock up the fridge with all my childhood favorite, like, um, drinks and f- uh, snacks that I like. And so they'll always ask me, oh, do you want this red bean popsicle? And like, I, I've, I've like matured in my taste profile. I was like, no, I don't like that anymore. Like they'll offer me milk bananas and they'll keep shoving it to me. And it's like, you know, I have to just eat it even though I don't want it. And for some reason, when I'm home there, it just seems like I lose track of time. Like it doesn't exist for some reason. Like time stands still. And I realize that when we are trying to make up for time, when we try our multitasking ways it's because we're in such a rush to be somewhere but my question is where where are you in a rush to be if we're already where we need to be then is there any hurry at all to begin with that's what i us to wonder this text starts with jesus wanting to be hidden and i'll show you this parallel here Jesus wanting to be hidden. And it ends with the woman finding, found the child. She finds God's miracle. But it's more than that. She finds her place with God. Or better yet, God has found her. A woman who had no place, no business to be near God, with all our busyness and problems to fix goals to reach, the experiences we want to have, quite frankly, we're distracted. And a lot of times, God isn't on our radar. Yet the sovereign God who literally upholds the universe takes time to save you. He doesn't just take the time, but he goes out of his way by sending Jesus down to us. And that at the cross, Jesus runs out of time. You know why he spent it all redeeming us at the cross jesus uh, uh, runs at a time for us also that you may know you have a place with god you know you know how to find your place with god practically speaking here you pray like you belong you pray immediately it's the only way for our busy hearts to find rest in a sovereign God. After all, with all the busyness of our hearts, is isn't it about time for us to truly find rest with our sovereign God. So here's the deal here. I'm going to have the praise team come up. Let's do exactly what the scriptures teach us to do. Let's pray. I don't know what's been on your heart and mind, what's been distracting you, what's been really eating away at your energy, what's been making you irritable. You all have something. And sometimes we just literally need to talk with God. What are some of those things? As you think about them, know that the Lord is with you. Know that God longs to carry your struggles, bear them, and know that he is willing to walk with you. And so friends, let's take a minute to pray and to lift up our prayers before God during this time. that our schedules are packed and our hearts are so distracted a lot of times that with our problems we just deal with it we handle it and yet we fail to just immediately bring our problems before you when that should just be the automatic response Jesus teach us less and less what it means to be professionals and more and more what it means to be a child of God That just brings all our problems before you and recognizes how helpless we truly are at times jesus we thank you that when we have no business with you you go out of your way to find us to make sure and ensure that we have a place with you and so jesus as we look to that cross as our place of security a place of refuge May we learn to bow before the feet of our sovereign God. Take away the busyness of our hearts so that we may live joy-filled lives on your behalf. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.